Welcome to the Spiral Inquiry Podcast, where we explore the foundations of science, faith, and philosophy. This is part two of the empirical standard for knowing, faith misplaced. Today, we will explore anomalies in quantum physics, logic, and mathematics, and then suggest some modifications to the empirical tenets of faith, changes which I believe offer a more fruitful approach to the continuing efforts to expand our knowledge and understanding of the world. Section 7, Quantum Physics. One of the very first things I learned in physics is the puzzle of Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. In its simplest form, this principle recognizes that when scientists try to observe very, very small phenomena, the observations will necessarily change the phenomena. Classically, one can determine precisely the position of a particle or its momentum, its energy, but not both, since making the measurement of momentum changes the position and vice versa. This actually makes sense. What does not make sense, however, is what happens in the double-slit experiment of Thomas Young, first performed in 1801. In this experiment, a researcher fires photon particles from a light source towards an opaque surface with two slits. As the photons pass through the slits, they travel to a photosensitive screen that records where they land. From a Newtonian perspective, we would expect the photons to pass through one slit or the other and create two lines on the back screen. However, even when firing single photons as particles, one at a time, through a double-slit device, the pattern displayed on the screen on the other side shows interference with brighter and darker lines at various angles away from the straight-line path the particles should have taken. The interference shown is consistent with the behavior of light acting as a wave. How can light be a wave and particles in the same experiment? How do the individual photons know where to land to create the interference pattern? Wave-particle duality is an example of a larger issue in quantum physics known as indeterminacy. In a double-slit experiment, the precise location for any given light particle cannot be determined. It is indeterminate until the particle strikes the screen. More broadly in quantum physics, the characteristics of a particle, position, momentum, charge, span, etc., are not fixed but subject to probability distributions. Only when the characteristic is measured in a given experiment, i.e. observed, does it reveal its characteristics. Let's consider the case of a radioactive molecule that will, at some point in time, decay into two smaller molecules. That decay is subject to a probability. There is a 50% probability that it will decay within time x. If we set up multiple identical experiments and observe them after time x, then half will have decayed and half will not. However, we will not know which until we observe them all. Prior to the observation, the status of each individual experiment is indeterminate. That is not, as you might think, just a question of not knowing because we haven't looked. The experiments confirm that it is the looking 
the measurement of the observation that causes the probability to go from 50% to either 0 or 1. The peculiarity of this probabilistic feature of quantum physics led physicists to develop an understanding known as the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum physics. CI postulates that units of radiation remain suspended in the indeterminate wave form as probability states or superpositions of the two alternate possibilities. These states and the wave form they are in collapse into a single definite state and outcome when observed in an experiment. The indeterminate waveform probability state is a state of coherence with both possibilities still in play and the waveform collapse reflects what is called decoherence as one actuality is observed and the other lost. David Merman characterized the CI derisively in a quote often attributed to Richard Feynman or Paul Dirac as the quote shut up and calculate rule. Erwin Schrodinger developed a thought experiment known as Schrodinger's cat that demonstrates the illogical feature of the CI. In this experiment, a cat is kept in a cage in which the decay of a single radioactive atom will trigger a device to release poison, killing the cat inside. According to CI, before the box is opened and an observation made of the state of the radioactive atom, the atom is in a superposition, and the cat, correspondingly, must be both dead and alive. Only when the box is opened and the status of the experiment observed does the waveform collapse. At that point, the cat is either alive or dead, but not both. No one ever seems to ask what the cat might think about all this. One line of thinking that seeks to respond to the confusion of CI has been widely popular. Known as the multiverse hypothesis, the idea is that for any waveform superposition, alternate universes are created. That would mean there is one universe in which Schrodinger's cat is alive and another in which the cat is dead. The observation we make at the end of the experiment just reveals which universe we are in the one in which the cat is dead or the other in which it is alive. Taken to its logical conclusion, the multiverse hypothesis applies to every waveform collapse that has ever taken place in the history of the universe, generating a seemingly infinite set of alternative universes, only one of which we have the opportunity to observe, the one we happen to be in. One might wonder what the appeal of this theory that seems to stretch credulity to the limits actually is. One answer is that it eliminates several sources of discomfort for physicists. For example, it is widely understood that the physical constants for the fundamental forces of physics appear to be very precisely determined. Minor deviations in any of them would have resulted in a universe in which the structure of stars and galaxies, the nature of chemistry and life itself would have been impossible. This is known as the fine-tuning problem, or why is our universe so special? The multiverse theory offers a solution by suggesting that this is simply coincidental. We are in the one universe among countless universes that exhibits the particular fine-tuning constants that it does. 
bottom-up causality and the absence of purpose can thus be sustained in the face of the circumstantial evidence to the contrary which fine-tuning exhibits. Another set of problems in QP, quantum physics, arises in the phenomenon known as entanglement or paired particles. Entanglement occurs when two particles are created in an experiment that, by necessity, share specific attributes such as spin in order to preserve conservation laws. Two entangled paired particles are created and then fly off in different directions. Being paired, they share the specific characteristics of spin, even though that characteristic is in the form of a probability distribution or waveform superposition. Until it is measured, the spin is indeterminate. Remarkably, when one of the paired particles is measured and the spin is determined, the other paired particle, no matter how far away, will prove to have the same spin. It's as if the first particle to be measured chooses and the other particle obeys instantaneously. One plausible explanation is that somehow the two particles communicate with each other. Some unseen, potentially massless messenger jumps to the second particle when the first is measured. However, if this were the case, the messenger would have to travel faster than the speed of light, violating Einstein's relativity theory. Moreover, experiments have been conducted where each observation point would perceive the other to be in the future based on Einstein's theory of relativity, yet efforts to trick the paired particle into a contradiction always fail. One possible conclusion is that there is a form of non-local coordination that extends outside of space and time. Many physicists find the concept of non-locality troubling as it introduces the idea that there can be causes outside of the physical constraints of space and time. An alternative conclusion is that when the particle measurement is taken, the outcome will, in effect, apply backwards in time to when the two particles were created. Once the measurement is made, it will be as if the particles had always been that way. This theory is called retrocausality, and it has some significant implications, if true. While retrocausality does not require faster-than-light communication, and also moots the multiverse hypothesis, it does postulate a form of time travel. More significantly, retrocausality brings relevance to the concept of purpose or ends. The end state of a quantum choice can influence past states and the resulting space-time trajectory. With retrocausality, evolution may be characterized as the future perfected state coming into being Well, theologians are comfortable with this idea, physicists are not. As long as Newtonian and then Einsteinian physics held sway, physicists had no interest in teleology, since the universe was perceived to behave deterministically. Now, however, in the case of entanglement, there is a potential mechanism being considered that brings teleology into consideration. End states in quantum physics may be found to play an instrumental role in evolutionary processes serving as a purpose, which could solve some of the problems in evolutionary theory. Just as there is a need for top-down causation in understanding emergent phenomena generally, there seems to be a need for a purposeful agency in evolution, 
And QP is pointing to that issue. As a final note, one of the central features of QP is the role of a conscious observer in establishing the conditions for quantum phenomena, e.g. collapse of the waveform superposition. In essence, there would be no physics if there were no observer. Some have speculated that, in some sense, the purpose of this universe has to be to create the conscious observer that measures it. Others think that as consciousness is integral to QP, consciousness in some universal form has to exist prior to QP. Einstein once characterized quantum physics as, quote, spooky action at a distance. This is as much the case today as it was a century ago. While considerable experimental and intense theoretical efforts have been devoted to the resolution of these issues and, and the unification of quantum and classical physics, these efforts have failed. Increasingly, however, some theoreticians are calling into question the dogmas of a purposeless universe and causal determinism and raising speculations about there being non-physical attributes in our world. Section 8, Mathematics and Logic. From the Rubiat, for is and is not, though with rule and line, and up and down by logic I define, of all that one should care to fathom, I was never deep in anything but wine. To an adherent of scientism, the seemingly intractable problems we discussed above are merely bumps in the road. We're making inevitable progress towards a universal empirical theory of everything, and when the next Einstein comes along, the current quandaries will be resolved. The optimists think we are very close, citing superstring theory, Hawking's M theory, or supersymmetry. This attitude is reminiscent of what A.A. Mickelson said in 1903 just before relativity and quantum mechanics shook the foundations of physics. Quote, the more important fundamental laws and facts of physical science have all been discovered, and these are now so firmly established that the possibility of their ever being supplanted in consequence of new discoveries is exceedingly remote. Our future discoveries must be looked for in the sixth place of decimals. Truthfully, Science has made great advances, and some of the conundrums today may be reconciled in the future. There is a class of these conundrums, however, that can never be reconciled. They involve the very foundation of thought itself. By its very nature, thought is a dualistic exercise. There is an observer, a thinker, and there is the object of thought. Moreover, one of the more interesting objects of thought is the thinker. This brings us to consider the implications of self-reflection in logic and math. Mathematical self-reflection, the property known as recursiveness, may, may not seem like a big deal, but major set developments in the past century in set theory and symbolic logic have pointed to some unexpected and profound results. It might seem a little odd, but it is actually quite important to consider mathematical or logical statements that refer to themselves. Algebraic functions themselves often contain the dependent variable in the function, and set theory often deals with sets that may or may not be members of themselves. In logic, propositional statements often refer to themselves. 
For example, the sentence, quote, this statement contains five words, is understandable, and it is also true. And the sentence, quote, this sentence was written by hand, is also understandable, even though it is false, as I wrote it with a computer. Self-referential statements like these are quite common, useful, and important. But knowing the meaning and truthfulness of a sentence becomes more difficult when you say, this statement is false. If true, the statement contradicts itself. If false, it curls back and bites its own tail. This curious linguistic sample is known as the liar's paradox. And while it may seem no more than a parlor trick, among mathematicians since Frege and Russell, it has led to no end of difficulties. Bertrand Russell coined his own version in set theory by postulating a special set, the set that contains all of the sets that do not contain themselves as members. If that set does include itself as a member, then it must be excluded. If excluded, then it must be a member of itself. The definitive statement about the significance of these difficulties came some 80 years ago, when renowned logician Kurt Gödel proved his incompleteness theorems. The proof addresses two key characteristics we require in any formal system logic, the qualities of consistency and completeness. Among the many systems of logic we are concerned with here is the very helpful and ubiquitous mathematical system of arithmetic. Consistency means that in our system of logic, we can prove that things are true and that we cannot prove things that are false. Completeness means that we can determine in our system of logic whether any particular statement is true or false. So consistency deals with the trustworthiness of the logical system, knowing that we cannot prove a falsehood. Completeness deals with the usefulness of the system. Undecidable statements, ones which we cannot prove as being true or false, are, after all, a significant nuisance if our goal is to know the truth. Gödel's theorems prove that it is impossible to achieve both consistency and completeness in any but trivial logical systems. If we demand consistency, then there will be statements that are true but unprovable. Moreover, if you design a logical system that is provably complete and therefore has no indeterminate statements, then it will necessarily be inconsistent, which means, effectively, you can prove anything. To put it simply, there's a serious blind spot in logic itself, and the implications to mathematics and all the fields of science that depend on it are philosophically significant. Many thinkers over the millennia have vested mathematics with an absolute and inviolable perfection that in some cases rises to the level of mysticism or religion. But now we know that our very best logic has blind spots. The most we can hope for in terms of proving truths is consistency, but not completeness. Some true logical conjectures can never be proved. In these cases, ascertaining truth requires stepping outside of the specifications of that logical system. By analogy, a logical system is like being in a box with some truths written on the outside of the box. These can only be verified from the outside. There are additional challenges to mathematical knowledge relating to complexity and computability. For example, consider the simple challenge known as the traveling salesman problem. 
As a salesman or a tourist, if you want to plan an optimal route through a few cities, you can make a few calculations of how the mileages all add up between the locations and pick the route that minimizes the miles. However, as you add to the number of cities, the complexity of the required calculations goes up incredibly fast. It quickly becomes exceedingly difficult to calculate all of the route options in order to be certain that you select the correct answer. Remarkably, in the case of just 100 cities, there are more root options than there are atoms in the known universe. Such calculations are not just difficult, they are practically impossible. The traveling salesman problem is an example of a broad class of hard problems, some of which show up in fields such as logistics, the manufacture of microchips, and DNA sequencing, to name just a few. These problems are referred to in mathematics as NP, non-polynomial, or technically NP-complete, in contrast with the more congenial class of problems known as P, polynomial. P problems may be very complex, but they can, at least in theory, be solved in a reasonable amount of time. There's always the hope, however, that someone can find a shortcut to any particular NP-complete problem that would reduce it to a P problem. Quite surprisingly, there is a proof that if one, one such shortcut exists, then all NP-complete problems have shortcuts, and the world immediately gets much simpler. The stakes for solving this problem are very high, and a clay prize of a million dollar is being offered for anyone that can solve it. Most experts believe a P-shortcut does not exist for any complete NP-complete problem. But if it did, the challenges of complexity would be reduced from impossible to merely very hard. Alan Turing, another brilliant 20th century logician, tackled the very practical concern of constructing a universal computing machine, technically a computational algorithm, to solve math problems. Turing proved the feasibility of a universal computing machine. As we know, computers are now ubiquitous in the 21st century world we live in. All math and logic can be coded in machine language. Any such problem can be put through machine algorithms for a solution. However, Turing was also concerned with how long a given algorithm might take to solve a problem. Would the algorithm ever halt? This is the so-called halting problem. Turing was able to prove that the halting problem does not have a finite solution. Therefore, for some algorithms, including the halting algorithm, we are unable to determine if they will complete their task in a finite amount of time. Do you remember the scene in the Imitation Game 2014 when Alan Turing was staring at his computing machine as the dials were spinning and the gears cranking away late into the night as it sought to solve the Enigma code? That was a lovely metaphor for the halting problem. There are other continuing challenges in the field of mathematics, including the very nature and interrelationship between the concepts of zero and infinity. Suffice it to say that in logic and mathematics, we are eyeball to eyeball with the truth and it slides from our comprehension. Mathematics may be the ultimate tool, but it denies us the ultimate truth. Section nine, revising the empirical tenets of faith. I hope you are convinced 
that the empiricist worldview is premised upon certain articles of faith that are forever unprovable. You may also agree that the articles of faith that underlay the empiricist worldview remain largely unexamined. When this faith becomes rigid dogma, as it has among many practitioners and believers, and to an extent, in the mainstream culture, it destroys constructive inquiry and undermines the quest for knowledge. Empirical knowledge is limited, and developments in mathematics and science over the last hundred years have laid bare a variety of inconsistencies and gaps that can only be addressed by engaging in different forms of knowledge acquisition. When we entered the 20th century, the Newtonian metaphor of a predictable and mechanical world was also accompanied by a buoyant empirical optimism. Just think of the crowds at the Paris World's Fair in 1900, celebrating the rapid advancements of science and technology and the certainty they brought with them. Remember the quote from A. A. Mickelson in 1903, the more f important fundamental laws and facts of physical science have all been discovered. There was also the movement in the 1920s known as logical positivism, premised on the goal of codifying all knowledge in propositional logic. Despite the ravages of two wars, economic and technological progress continued to accelerate during the 20th century. Yet at the same time, the certainty and predictability inherent in the Newtonian worldview was being eroded. In the latter half of the 20th century, the notions of uncertainty, indeterminacy, and relativity had seeped into the popular culture. Chaos theory and black holes became common metaphors. Relativism, the idea that there is no absolute truth and that truth is only subjective and relative, became commonplace. These cultural memes and the anxiety and existential queasiness that accompany them are in large measure the consequence of the waves of continuing re revolutionary scientific discoveries. Certainly, while our standard of living has risen, the world has become a more unsettled place. Confidence has been lost. With this context in mind, let us again examine the empirical tenets of faith introduced earlier and consider how, in the light of the findings here, we might consider revising them. One, the regularities we observe in the physical world are reliable, consistent, and enduring. Restated, the regularities we observe in the physical world are reliable, consistent, and enduring. No change. Two, these regularities are rational and comprehensible. Restated. These regularities are rational and comprehensible. However, our ability to comprehend them is fundamentally limited. Three, mathematics is the language by which we can best explore and describe these regularities. Restated. Mathematics is a useful language to explore and describe these regularities. However, there are aspects of knowing that extend beyond logic and mathematics. Four, the world is fundamentally random. There is no purposeful intentionality or agency involved in its functioning. Restated, the world seems to be both random and purposeful. We need to explore these questions and invest faith in the explanations that provide the deepest understanding. Five, the world is causally determined from small to large, from past to future. Reductionism is methodologically exclusive. Restated, the world functions causally, 
probabilistically and intentionally. We need to explore these questions and invest faith in the explanations that provide the deepest understanding. 6. The physical world is all there is. There are no non-physical causes, no miracles, and no mystery. Restated. The physical world is immediately accessible to our physical beings. However, there are also realms of experience beyond the physical, and these are the wellspring of love, creativity, and mystery. In summary, there are levels of knowing that are inaccessible from within the physical and mathematical constructs of empirical science. The universe has awakened to itself. Evidence of this awakening and self-awareness can be found in the abstract forms of mathematics as well as in the manifestations of complexity, emergence, and quantum theory in the physical world. At the pinnacle of this awakening is our human consciousness. We are reflective observers of the world and self, and our consciousness is, in some sense, an anchor for quantum physics and a purposeful end state of evolutionary complexity. The empirical standard for knowing is faith misplaced. Understanding the limits of empirical knowing opens the door for a broader and deeper inquiry into the human experience through alternative ways of knowing that draw from our rich human heritage and build on our subjective and interpersonal experiences. We come full circle to the roots of our humanity and our quest for knowing and to the origins of this mystery we call life. Section 10, Conclusion. We began this paper talking about the goblet illusion. Based on the themes discussed in this paper, it's appropriate to imagine an image that captures the same concepts with more subtlety, the yin-yang symbol. Perhaps this is a fruitful way of thinking about science and religion. The two disciplines are intertwined. Both seek knowledge about the same totality in which we live. At the heart of science, as we've shown, is ineffable mystery. At the heart of religious transcendence is the mystery of our physical embodiment in the empirical world. We can also look at the yin-yang image as a picture of the reflective conscious self dancing with the outside world of the non-self. At the heart of our subjective self, we find the deep relationships we have with the world through which the self is created, nurtured, and shaped. At the core of the world is the fact that it needs to be observed, and our subjective self is the observer. We may also consider the image as showing creation in its totality. Creation requires both mathematics, the pure form within which creation unfolds, and movement, the action and change that constitutes its becoming. At the core of both is the ineffable, infinite mystery by which they are united. Yet, as in the cases above, they comprise a unitary whole. Thanks for listening to the Spiral Inquiry Podcast. I'm your host, George Gans. Be sure to subscribe for more podcasts, and please visit spiralinquiry.org to explore the intersection of science, faith, and philosophy, and to contribute your own ideas to the conversation.